0: How are you doing anyway? Do, well, yes. Jelly babies. Mm, there's are really jelly beans. I'm going to put them away now. <laughs> Unfortunately, when I opened the pack, they went everywhere. You know, when sometimes you just delicately try and open it and it just goes... Yeah. Which means you've got to eat them all. It does mean you've got to eat them all, yeah. As quickly as possible before any neighbouring mice get them. You don't want the flies and the mice to get a whiff of that. No, so I'm diligently eating them as quickly as possible. Good. Good man. hop, 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 hop. So hopefully this is going to be the first ever podcast recording where someone gets type 2 diabetes midway through. Fingers crossed. That's an exclusive. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, hold on a minute, Sam. I can feel my legs starting to fall off. (laughs) I've got that... that... I've got that gouty feeling. (laughs) I've got a fizzy feeling in my fingers. (laughs) I feel it in my fingers. Can't feel it in my toes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry, we're not, we're not allowed to be smutty this week. You can be smutty this week.
1: I'm only moderate. I'm very moderately smutty this week, but only a little bit and only at the start.
0: I'm not. I'm barely smutty at all. Good. We're having a, a relatively smut-free week. We are. We are. We are going smut-free. Smut-free September. Oh, that's not going to last. <laughs> <laughs> smut-free 24th of September. I
1: mean. Even then, it's not going to last. I've got a little bit of smut in mind. <laughs> hello and welcome to another episode of That Was Genius, a fun little history podcast, at least we think it's fun. Certain commenters do not, in which Tom, who's eating jelly beans, say hello Tom with I'm a mouth... I'm
0: almost finished. I'm almost finished. Lies. I'm trying to speak like... Um, So you can't hear that I've got jelly beans in my mouth. (laughs) Tom, the currently and hopefully mute until he's swallowed co-host in New Zealand.
1: And Sam, me, myself, I in the UK, we discuss history stories on a topic each week. Uh, Last week, we decided that this week's topic would be the law. But everything that happens during the podcast is a surprise.
0: The law. The law, Sam. It's the law. It's the law. The law. Did you have fun this week, Tom? Have you learnt something? Good. I have learnt something, yes. I have fun every week, Sam. And, um, yes, this week I've gone down a slightly different route. I mean, it's it's modern history for a start. Oh, It's not ridiculously silly either. It's just quite an interesting story. Not silly or smutty, which is kind of where I've been going in the last three or four episodes. <laughs> Historical silly smutness. Yes. Silly smuttery. There has been there's been an awful
1: lot of smut in the last few episodes, so I've gone smut light this week as well. I've got a tiny bit, tiny bit at the smut beginning. Smut light,
0: yeah, smut light. <laughs> yeah. Smut. Mm. Oh, which one shall I have for dinner tonight? <laughs> shall I have the smut or the smut light? Oh, mm. do you want diet smut, darling, or full fat? Oh, I've smut zero. <laughs> yeah. Oh which smut shall I have? Hmm, smut
1: zero, cherry flavored. <laughs> nice. So just a touch of smut, a little smut, a soupçon of smut, and then we're into some. Serious history with uh, with very little penises, uh, uh, sorry, very uh, yes, few penises, exactly. not very little penises. You know what I meant.
0: <laughs> Lots of them, but they're tiny. <laughs> um, now there's a court case. <laughs> so yes, we've been we have been criticised online, haven't we, recently for the levels of smut in our podcasts? This yes. isn't actually. I would I would like to point out that this isn't because we've had two grumpy bastards criticising us. It's actually because I, I didn't encounter anything smutty Do you, I
1: don't know, I did steer away from it specifically this week But I had an idea of what I wanted to talk about And then I, I just rolled with it and it happened to not be smutty
0: Oh yeah, exactly, exactly, so it's coincidence
1: I'm excited to uh, hear your story Tom, so shall we flip something and get going? Let's flip it I was going to say, let's flip something and get going in an unusually swift start to this podcast But we have already been recording for 20 minutes Hopefully by the time you yeah. hear this dear listeners you'll be about two minutes in
0: <laughs> Yes, yes
1: Well Tom In honour of it being law week, I'm going to flip a parking ticket. Nice. Yeah. When did
0: you get this parking ticket?
1: I... Well, do you know what Tom? I'm actually I'm lying. I'm lying to the court. I'm pretending it's a parking ticket. It's actually not. It's a brochure for Marie Curie Cancer Care. But it looked a bit like a parking right. ticket and I couldn't find anything legally <laughs> useful. Okay. So for an You're audio treatment liar,
0: Sam. Because <laughs> under really... a not very under under not very good cross examination, yeah. you gave up very quickly.
1: <laughs> I did.
0: But we're gonna pretend that it's a parking <laughs> no, ticket. I'm lying, I'm guilty. <laughs> Dreadful liar. You're worse than the guilty dragon.
1: I am worse than the guilty dragon. Ironically. I'm lying
0: about having broken the law so you, you, you're lying trying to get yourself in trouble I was um, have I got anything legal pretending that I was me? a bad boy mm. bad boy bad boy
1: what are you going to do what are you going to do when they come for
0: you oh I've got an, I've got an envelope here which is my voting documents for um, local elections in Christchurch New Zealand So I that that's got a legal aspect to it I suppose isn't mm. it yeah Be- oh, vaguely do you want to have the side that says voting documents enclosed Or would you like the side which is almost entirely blank apart from a little thing that says this envelope is manufactured using paper from sustainably managed forests and controlled sources, which is going to be by far the most fascinating part of this podcast, me reading that bit. Wow. Which side would you like?
1: I'm not even sure how I'm going to edit that down. (laughs) Cut. I'm going to take the side with recycled paper, Tom, being the green-fingered, green-minded man that I am.
0: Flipping now. Oh, you win. That's a
1: very hefty document.
0: It is a hefty document. It is a very I haven't even opened it yet. It is a very hefty document.
1: I'm going to go first this week Tom if that's all right.
0: Hit it. Hit me. Hit, hit everything. Hit it. And twat it with your hit stick. Fact stick, fuck stick. <laughs> do it.
1: That's a very out there, that was
0: a very avant-garde
1: poem. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I do some jazz clicking in the background in appreciation? Well, I can't repeat it because never to be repeated. I'll just I'll just copy and paste it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tom, I thought I got a bit inspired
0: by last week's episode, so I thought you did. Yeah, so I decided because because last week both things we discussed could easily have been in this episode, couldn't they? They could have done. Because you basically discussed a show trial.
1: I did discuss a show trial, a kangaroo kangaroo court,
0: yes. And you discussed sort of show trials. (laughs) I was going to mention this on my piece, but when I was doing my research for last week, which was about witches, for people who haven't heard it yet. I came across the fact that there was a difference between common English law and continental European law at that stage in the later Middle Ages. And that difference, or one of the differences, was the presumption of innocence. So in England, there was a presumption of innocence, whereas in continental Europe, there wasn't, which is as Uh. a result of feudal law sort of synthesising with old Western Roman Empire and Roman law. And in roman law there was a concept of the presumption of innocence but it kind of got as the laws merged It faded it faded away absolutely faded away and yeah so it'd been since the time of antoninus Pius, and he was one of the five good emperors in ancient rome there's a presumption of innocence but there wasn't in the sort of germanic parts of western europe so there you go that sounded frightfully historical tom I might, have to, uh, Sorry. I might have to cut that bit out. And replace it with
1: penis jokes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, well, yes, yeah, so I, I got a bit inspired by last week's episode and, and talking about the law. So I decided, Tom, that I would talk today about a few instances in which God has found himself in the dock. Mm. Yeah. Which God? Well, God or gods. Hmm. Yes. So I'm going to take us on a bit of a whirlwind tour of history and times when God has either been uh, the plaintiff... Or God's been the defendant, or sometimes God's been a witness. This is sounding a lot like a Billy Connolly film. It is, which I'm absolutely not going to mention. Sorry, jumping ahead of you. <laughs> the man who sued God. No, no, I'm, I, no, no. I am not going to mention it.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. I steered
1: well away from it. Yes, Billy Connolly did a film called "The Man Who Sued God," in which he sued God for acts of God. Is
0: it a good film? I can't say I've ever watched it.
1: I, I've not seen it either. Hence why I didn't mention okay. it. I, yeah. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. We start our magical mystery world tour in ancient Greece. Ooh. With the very odd case, Tom. Of the woman who stripped her way to freedom. Ooga, Smut horn going off.
0: <laughs> oh, wow, the cock monitor.
1: Yes. The woman who stripped her way to freedom, Tom, because it ain't no crime to da, look da, this good.
0: So, why was she stripping?
1: Well, Tom, why indeed did she strip her way to freedom? That's the story. But I promise this is the only rude one I'm going to do. So, and I'm going to get her name wrong. Please don't correct me. You know I don't care. This woman's name was. Uh, right.
0: <laughs> You're warming up. Yeah. You're doing your vocal <clears throat> vocal warm up exercises. La 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 la. I'm going to pronounce this.
1: Or Mneseriti who was also known as Fionn, or Toad, due to her yellowish complexion. Uh, Yes, it's all going well in the looks department so far.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what a great stripper. Mm. (laughs) Mmm, yellow and Toad-like. So... (laughs) 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 Pass me my £50 notes. (laughs) Tuck them in her G-string.
1: Or that little kind of air pouch in the side of her face. So, yes, Phryne was a courtesan in Athens in the 4th century BC. And she was a famous beauty, uh, despite having the nickname Toad. Toad and being (laughs) yellow.
0: And a jaundiced hue. (laughs) I was about to say.
1: (laughs) She was supposedly the lover of the Greek sculptor Praxilites, or Praxilites, and the inspiration for the first ever statues of naked women that we know from ancient Greece, as well as the inspiration for the appearance of the goddess Aphrodite. So, whenever you go into a museum and you see an ancient Greek sculpture of a woman. It's this woman. This was the inspiration, the original one. So a very, very famous Greek beauty. Now, at some point in her life, and we're not entirely sure when, it all went a bit pear-shaped for her.
0: She put on a little weight, did she?
1: (laughs) A little bit of timber, yeah. So at some point in her life, we're not entirely sure when, it all went a bit pear-shaped, literally. She found herself accused of impiety or behaving in a way that would displease the gods. Now, in ancient Greece, pleasing the gods was... It was everything. It was life. It was the difference between a good harvest and a bad one, having healthy children or having to throw them off hills, winning wars and everything in between. <laughs> having
0: to throw them off hills. Yeah. I think that was just the Spartans, wasn't it, Sam? I'm not sure I it think was. That was. more to do with geographically where you were born. Was it not? I know, I think I think other
1: parts of Greece possibly did the whole exposure thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's all the rage in Sparta, guys. Yeah, I think we should start it in Thebes. <laughs> Chuck the children off the hill. <laughs> and it doesn't hurt them that much. No! Some of them, what doesn't kill you,
1: Tom, makes you stronger. Some yeah. of them just need a little push in the right direction. Jackalus and Gillus. Indeed. <laughs> We're left on the Hillus. So, yes, displeasing the gods, very, very bad. So doing anything to piss them off was a big no-no. In fact, it was a capital offence. Being impious carried the death penalty in ancient Athens. Now, Frayne found herself... in God's sake.
0: Uh, I Sorry, know. I should, said, I should have said for God's sake. But for that God's sake, sake. yes. <laughs>
1: oh. Do it again, Tom. Sorry,
0: okay. okay. For God's sake. Christ on a bike. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mary Magdalene's muff. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> By
1: Mary's muff, sir. Yeah, so Fryne found herself in court for by impiety. the pubes of Mary, I cannot believe it. <laughs> by the, by Jesus is the What is this? So Fryne's found herself in court. So Paul's wonk. <laughs> by Samson's spunk. <laughs>
0: right. So, Jesus' Fry- is great big. <laughs> Sorry, I've just been silly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, Freud found herself in court for impiety. We don't know exactly what she did, but it wasn't looking good for her. And so, legend has it that, as a last-ditch defence, her lawyer, the orator Hyperides, came up with a plan—a very cunning plan, Tom, with depth and layers, like an like an onion, a 3D chess game of a plan. And that plan was this, Tom. He pulled off her clothes. (laughs) Show him him the nips. (laughs) Yeah. He pulled off her robe, revealing her tits to the courtroom. And yes, Tom, yes, indeed, there are an awful lot of Renaissance paintings of men leching over her. Is that right? This is quite a famous scene. It's quite a famous trial in antiquity, quite a famous scene, yes. And it worked.
0: I do not believe this, Sam. I do not believe that males would ever be persuaded to change their mind based on a pair of tits. I don't believe it. Well, exactly, Tom, exactly. Page three of The Sun
1: has never influenced a single person's opinion. Nope. We're above that, I like to think.
0: Absolutely. 50% of the human population are above that. They would never, ever be influenced by sex. I I think that 50% is probably the women. The female. (laughs) Yes. I was kind of
1: teeing that one up for you. So, yes. So, unsurprisingly, flashing her tits to the courtroom absolutely worked. But there was, Tom, there was an argument behind it. It wasn't just a cheeky flash. The argument was that such beauty could only have been a gift from Aphrodite herself. And that Phryne was therefore a prophet of godly beauty. Now, since she'd been chosen by the gods to represent beauty on Earth, she couldn't possibly be guilty of displeasing them with impious behaviour. See? Now, bearing in mind, Tom, the jurors were all men. Yes. (laughs) So the dirty old bastards obviously let her go. The defence worked
0: completely. Oh, oh, I'm not sure about this. We're going to have to hear hear the argument again. Yep. (laughs) Oh, I didn't quite hear it first time. No, you'll have to come a little bit
1: closer. I need to investigate Uh-oh. the divine knockers. Get <clears throat> <Just clears throat> my glasses.
0: <laughs> Musicallys, would you like to play a little tune, please? <clears throat> <sighs> Testicles, put them away.
1: Unfortunately, there wasn't such a thing as motorboating at the time, but um <laughs> galleoning her. <laughs>
0: Yes. Anyway. <laughs> her a good Trojan horse, aren't <laughs> you? a good Trojan horse. So, this version of the story
1: is a little bit doubtful. Uh, modern historians think it probably didn't happen that way. We do know that the trial actually happened itself, but it's likely the stripping was added later for satirical purposes to show the Athenian elites foolish old leches who'd do anything for a quick grope. Uh, but it is a good story, nonetheless, of someone invoking God to their defence, basically saying... If I'm guilty,
0: why did God give me these? I can't... I mean, I'm sorry to question this again, Sam, but I cannot believe that any democracy in the world would ever let a dirty old lech get to high positions. Well, absolutely. Someone who groped... and That would never happen in a democracy, Sam. I'm I'm
1: glad that we've risen above that now. Yes. Absolutely. Grab him by the goat horns. That's what I say. Okay, I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> it's a Greek, <laughs> Greek pottery thing, joke. I see where you're going with that.
0: Sorry.
1: <laughs> so next up, I'm going to take us to Britain, Tom, on our little historical world tour of the law. And the year 1378. Good year. yeah, Great year. Fine vintage. For a whistle-stop look at the odd history of British blasphemy laws. Uh, specifically, Ooh. blasphemous libel or slandering God's reputation. Blasphemy is just shouting, God damn it, when you stub your toe. That in itself was a serious offence. Could have had you flogged for hundreds of years from medieval England onwards. But blasphemous libel was quite different. Libel is bringing a reputation into disrepute. Or or, or bringing someone into disrepute. So blasphemous libel was bringing God's reputation and bringing the church into disrepute and spreading lies about it. And that was a lot more serious. Because clearly, Tom, clearly... God needs some folk on earth to defend His good name. Yes, and confirm that yes, launching this crusade and massacring those heretics is exactly what He wanted you to do, and that yes, that hailstorm was caused by the old lady down the road, who's definitely a witch.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that child of yours that died um, within the first hours of his life, yep, yeah, that was God. Yep, yeah,
1: that was all part all of part my of the plan. plan. Yep, absolutely. And of course, Tom, God needs some people down on Earth to make sure that the message is getting across. Because he may be omniscient and omnipotent, but he can't be everywhere all the time.
0: No, it's a big universe, isn't it, Sam? Let's it's, be fair. It it's is. a big universe. There's lots and lots to be controlling and looking after. He's got he's got shit on. He's got dinner on the pot. Unfortunately.
1: The only thing the bishops could do to blasphemers at the time was excommunicate them, which wasn't really much of a threat to atheists and heretics. So they <laughs> needed something. <laughs> You're not
0: going to heaven. Oh, fucking oh, hell. shit. <laughs> oh, one, no. Mate. Does this face look like it gives a shit? No.
1: <laughs> sorry, let me root around in my clothes for some fucks. Nope, sorry. <laughs> All fresh Couldn't out. Do any. Yeah. So yeah, the bishops needed something a little bit more spicy to keep people in line. And so they forged an Act of Parliament in England. And when I say they forged an Act of Parliament, Tom, they literally forged it. (laughs) They wrote up an Act of Parliament for royal assent without getting the permission of the House of Commons or the House of Lords, and then threatened anyone who tried to have the law repealed with uh, blasphemy charges. The same ones they'd just written up and forged, so uh, right. all very legal. Exactly what Jesus would have done himself, <laughs> respecting the laws of the land and all that. So by yeah. the year fourteen hundred, blasphemy laws were so strict that anyone convicted of heresy or blasphemy could be burned at the stake. Best thing for them, Sam. Best, uh, well, absolutely. It's the only real. It's the only real way to deal with it, Tom. Yep. Got to flush out the cockroaches. In, in fact. Absolutely it'll come as probably a great surprise to you, Tom, to know that the clergy had been burning people at the stake illegally for quite a long time before this. Uh, but, you know, God's will. Exactly what
0: Jesus would have wanted. Yeah, well, he did it a lot in the New Testament, didn't he? He did. Just he burning left, burning right and centre. Yeah. Spare minute. Oh, i to burn someone. If you weren't on fire,
1: you weren't there. That's what they said about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but, unfortunately there was still a problem this was still ecclesiastical law which meant that it was law that was policed by the church and the state didn't really get involved but over time particularly as britain became protestant it became more of a common law idea which means that it was normal for the courts to decide on blasphemy cases not the church that did not however mean that punishments were any less horrific in 1656 during the time of cromwell and the puritans who are as you know known for their kindness a Quaker yes. called James Naylor.
0: Miserable they were just miserable gits. Really. Oh, they were cunts. Right misers. <laughs> yeah. Miserable, miserable people, far out.
1: Yeah, I tell you what, Tom, they knew how to have fun when it came to punishments, though.
0: Oh God, he would I don't never invite Oliver Cromwell round for a tea party. Oh, God. I know. Jesus. Boring. Sat in silence, all dressed in black, just eating
1: stale bread and water. But in 1656, a Quaker called James Naylor was convicted of blasphemy for reenacting Christ's Palm Sunday. And what he did was he entered Bristol a on euphemism? a <laughs> euphemism. Well, well, Tom, it sounds even more like a euphemism when I tell you that he did this by entering Bristol on a horse.
0: Right, not entering the horse in Bristol.
1: No, no, well, then, okay. who knows, that could have been part of it. <laughs> Sorry, I'll re- reel that one in a bit.
0: Turn the cock monitor off. <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah, so he reenacted Christ's Palm Sunday by entering Bristol on a horse because that's as close as he could find to Jerusalem as part of a protest against the slave trade and the fencing off of common land by wealthy lords. Can you imagine anything less Christian, Tom, than protesting against the slave trade? For okay. fuck's sake. So yes, he was found to be guilty of blasphemy and was sentenced by a judge to be put in the stocks, branded on the forehead with a B for blasphemer, Having his tongue pierced with a red hot poker so he could never speak again, and then good. sentenced to hard labour for the rest of his probably fairly short and miserable life. Yeah.
0: Again, exactly what Jesus would have done, Tom. Lovely, jubbly. Absolutely, and that, and and sorry, why and that was because he was trying to end slavery. Yes. Good. Bloody yes. right thing. Absolutely. Bloody good thing too.
1: Too bloody right. Trying to end slavery and trying to stop the lords from stealing common land from poor people. I mean, where else Twat. are they going to hunt, Tom? Where else are they going to hunt, hey? I don't know. Uh, By this time, of course, all the good Christians were Anglican, so you could absolutely slag off Catholic God to your heart's content. He didn't count. He wasn't counted in the uh, blasphemy laws. It was only the good old English God, whose uh, delicate reputation as a cuddly, forgiving and all-loving father figure needed protecting with massive torture and mutilation. And speaking ill of God could get you in trouble really quite recently. (laughs) So the blasphemy laws in England and Wales, guess when they were lifted, Tom? Guess how long these laws were in action?
0: I reckon, it was, is it as late as the 60s and 70s? No, later. Later than the 60s? Seriously? Yep. yep. 90s? Later. Noughties?
1: 2008. The blasphemy wow. laws were finally lifted in England and Wales. And Tom, they still apply in Scotland and
0: Northern Ireland. Oh, it's because they're backwards, aren't they? Scots <laughs> and Northern it's so you can still be tried for blasphemy? In Northern Ireland and Wales,
1: in Northern Ireland, Scotland, theoretically, in the yes. Scotland, sorry,
0: yeah, theoretically, yes. And actually, the last
1: person to be jailed in the UK for blasphemy was 1921. Right. It was that recent when a guy called John William Gott was prosecuted for publishing satirical pamphlets entitled Ticklers, or "Questions for Parsons and God," and Gott, in which he presented Jesus as a circus clown. Now. This was his fourth blasphemy conviction in the 1920s, or in the 1910s and 1920s, and so he was sentenced for publishing these pamphlets to nine months' hard labour, which was essentially a death sentence for him, because he was critically and terminally ill by the time he went to court. He did survive his sentence, but he died very shortly afterwards, just a couple of weeks after being released from prison, which caused absolute public outrage and a demand for reformation of these ancient libel laws Uh, that never happened but in 1976 there was a successful the final successful prosecutions under britain's blasphemy laws And that was Mary Whitehouse, the famous in the UK anti-filth activist who's responsible for then being no swearing on British
0: TV during the day. Just a misery guts, wasn't she? She was an absolute misery guts. (laughs) She would have invited Thomas Cromwell around for dinner.
1: Yeah, so for anyone not in the UK, Mary Whitehouse, she's, she's kind of forgotten about a little bit now. But she was an activist in the 60s and 70s who basically made it her mission to remove all smut from British public life, anything she viewed as lewd behaviour on the radio and TV, in magazines. It was anti-homosexual, what she called anti-homosexual propaganda, all of this kind of thing. And she was enormously successful and she sued in 1976 the Gay News for publishing James Kerr poem, The Love That Dare Not Speak Its Name, which was a, it's a very famous poem that was banned for many years, largely as a result of Mary. In which Jesus is gay, basically. And she launched a private prosecution and it won. Gay News was fined £1,000 and the Gay News editor, Dennis Lemon, was actually given a suspended jail sentence and fined as well. So he was actually given a prison sentence that he didn't have to serve. So that was the last time that they were successfully used in the UK, even as late as 2005, people were trying to bring private prosecutions against the BBC for blasphemy when it showed Jerry Springer the opera, although the laws by this time were so out of date, being several hundred years old, that they didn't include TV and radio. Right. So that's the only reason that it didn't succeed, is because the blasphemy laws did not include TV and radio broadcast. So uh, the courts have been defending God for a very, very, very long time, and an awful lot of people have died, some very recently, for blasphemy in the supposedly a Very forward thinking
0: country. That's very interesting. Very very interesting. What a load of nonsense. I I really dislike people who are so easily offended. I really am. Mm. I I really dislike them. Yeah. Jesus, just toughen up. Yeah. (laughs) There's nothing
1: wrong with being offended. Absolutely. If you're not offending anyone, you're not doing anything right. And I completely respect your right to be offended, but I don't necessarily have to do anything about it. (laughs) Your right to be offended is not my duty to do anything. I was going to do a couple more, but I, I'm aware that we're running short on time. So I'm going to very quickly rattle through one more, and then I'll pass over to you, Tom. And that is the time when someone sued Satan for ruining his life. Oh, okay. So we're heading to the US in 1971 for the case of Mayo
0: versus Satan and his staff. And his staff? Yes. And by staff, does he mean his... His minions. The his demons. demons. Is, is, yes, is, is, absolutely. Right. yeah. Were they all named for, for legal reasons? Did they have to name his minions? Bob the Demon, Billy the Demon, <laughs> yeah, Dave,
1: Dave the Demon. No, I think it was demon guilt by so guilt by association. So
0: cause, just because they're a demon, they they were assumed to be guilty. Yeah,
1: absolutely. They're assumed to be little types. Could be a good demon. Could be good demon Or a
0: lazy yeah. demon that just didn't do much that was bad.
1: Their demonic thing could just be sloth, couldn't
0: it? Yeah, exactly. It's and one of the deadly sins. Any yeah, yeah. Unless they're spreading sloth. Yeah, that's making everybody yeah, sleepy. In a McDonald's
1: so anyway, Gerald Mayo, 22-year-old inmate at the Western Penitentiary in Pittsburgh. Now, he sued the devil for alleging that, quote, Satan has on numerous occasions caused the plaintiff misery and unwarranted threats against the will of the plaintiff that Satan has placed deliberate obstacles in his path and has caused the plaintiff's downfall. And all of this had resulted in him becoming incarcerated and losing his constitutional rights. So this guy wasn't suing the prison for keeping him locked up and depriving him of his liberty. He was suing Satan and Satan's little helpers for getting him there in the first place. Right. Hilariously, he also filed a suit claiming that he was too poor to fight the legal case himself. And so asked the state to waive his legal fees if the case went ahead.
0: (laughs) So he essentially... How far did this get?
1: Well... The case didn't actually ever see court, Tom, but... I wonder why. Well, <laughs> not for the reason you'd think, Tom. Not for the reason you'd think. There did was... Say, did did Satan not turn up? You're getting closer. There was a genuine full legal finding on the case. The judge, a man called Gerald Weber, decided that there was no precedent for suing Satan. It had never been done before, but that there were unofficial accounts of earlier trials in New Hampshire... Hundreds of years beforehand, where it had been decided that Satan was an American citizen. However, it was more likely that in modern law, he'd be classified as a foreign prince and therefore have sovereign and diplomatic immunity from prosecution. Right. (laughs) Furthermore, furthermore, Tom, the case couldn't proceed because, and this is where you got pretty close to it, Mayo when filing the suit hadn't provided a contact address for Satan and so the US Marshal Service couldn't summon him to court
0: oh for fuck's sake I mean, everyone knows where Satan lives don't they
1: yes delivering mail to him somewhat more difficult
0: yeah okay that's that's true that's
1: true and actually this isn't the only time this has happened in 2005 throw in, in- a volcano
0: just throw the letter in the nearest volcano there you go that'll get to him
1: if, well eventually maybe yeah why not so anyway, this isn't actually the only time that a prisoner has tried to sue God as a get-out-of-jail-free card. In 2005, a murderer serving 20 years in Romania, known as Pavel M., sued the Romanian Orthodox Church in their role as God's representatives on Earth. And the reason he did this, Tom, is that he claimed that his baptism was a binding contract and that God and the church had failed to keep him from the devil. <laughs> and failed to step in and stop him from wandering the path of sin. Right. He therefore claimed that they'd been negligent and sued them. Again, this case was thrown out. It did go to court. It got thrown out because God was judged as neither an individual nor a company and was therefore not capable of writing up a written contract.
0: Right, that's a little bit more sensible. Yes. That's, <laughs> yes, I, I can understand that finding. Yes. That, this Romanian chap probably just needs to to learn to take responsibility for his actions.
1: Yes, I mean, you did the murder. Yeah. <laughs> that is probably dem- your responsibility. Yeah, you did it. It wasn't Satan. Probably not. But yes, there we go, Tom. Interestingly, oh, very, very, very finally, in 2008, there was a very well-known case in which a Nebraska senator called Ernie Chambers sued God as well. Now, he sued God for allowing or enabling harmful activities... The reason he did this, though, was in an effort to highlight and satirise frivolous lawsuits. And once again, it got thrown out because he couldn't provide a contact address for God. So there you go. Again,
0: yeah. <laughs> everyone knows where God lives. Well,
1: Ernie Ernie they? Chambers actually answered this back and said that actually, God being omnipotent and omniscient, he didn't just Definitely know about the case. He was actually already in the room. Unfortunately, yeah, that exactly. didn't
0: wash. <laughs> exactly. That's where I would have gone and as well. And the case was thrown
1: out. But he was just doing it to try and basically highlight the idea of frivolous lawsuits and people wasting the court's time.
0: By wasting the court's time, fair enough.
1: So there we go, Tom. There we go. God being called as a witness, God being sued, and people trying to defend God's good name on Earth. Completely bonkers. Do you know what I'm going to say this? I wasn't going to say this because we're running out of time, but I can always edit it out. There is also the guy who thinks he is God, Tom, (laughs) and sued other people for using his powers without a license. This is 2011, and the case of Chris Roller, a former US Navy nuclear engineer who's probably spent far too long sitting close to the uranium, who claimed that he was God and tried to patent having godly powers. He then, whilst the patent application was going through, it ended up being refused, sued David Blaine and David Copperfield for using godly powers in their stage magic shows. Yeah,
0: right. What? Yeah, just a psychiatric patient, really. That's what you're describing, isn't it? Yeah. Essentially,
1: yes. He's just a madman. His website does claim that he's married to Celine Dion and that he's planning on running for president with Bill Gates. He has so, a website. Yes.
0: Wow. So there you go. Where did it all go wrong for someone who clearly was doing quite well for himself?
1: Just because you've got your fingers on a nuclear button doesn't mean you're sane, Tom, as we can well yes, demonstrate. Yeah, yes.
0: <laughs> nice
1: second illusion of the podcast thus far so uh, yes he demanded 50 million dollars in unpaid royalties from David Copperfield unless David Copperfield could specifically prove to him his magic tricks were a result of physics and the law and provable within the laws of science and he had to do that by showing by showing him how David, all of his tricks were that, done
0: obviously this never got anywhere David Copperfield did not have to turn up and show him how his tricks were done did he they, they got that masked magician instead to do it <laughs> yeah yeah they just they
1: got Paul Daniels he was the only one who was available bizarrely actually the Minnesota court did throw out the case that's not the bizarre bit but the bizarre bit is that they didn't ban Roller from suing other magicians despite his history of having done it before they did stipulate that he wasn't allowed to sue David Copperfield again but they didn't ban him from suing other magicians for the same thing and how
0: many other magicians has he attempted to sue?
1: I I don't know at least a couple it wasn't a it wasn't a one-off case yeah, he's also tried to paint divine powers several times. Right.
0: Well, I mean, it's, we're, we're criticizing him, aren't we? Saying that he's a madman. Well, maybe he's how many well-established religions have started from some nutcase who <laughs> thinks he's got magical powers and is hearing voices in his head. Let's be honest. I mean, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> he, he could well be a prophet in thousands of years' time. Everyone yep. might be following his religion. Far be it from religions
1: to be. You know, litigious, chasing people up, threatening people. That doesn't sound like any modern religion that I know. That doesn't sound at all like, for
0: example, the Church of Scientology. That doesn't sound like anyone. Yeah, very interesting and and very serious as well. I was working hard at this end of the podcast, at this end of the microphone, to try and find some rude jokes and I couldn't, I'm afraid. (laughs) <laughs> there were not many opportunities no, i made it very difficult for you So well done and the few that i did attempt weren't very good so they presumably are not going to make the edit a failure on my part anyway so yes we discussed at the start that last week the two topics we chose could have been in this week's podcast i almost went down the route of a show trial like you did last week i almost talked about um Nikolai and elena Ceausescu. The Romanian communist dictators. Ah but I yes. decided it's yeah, yeah. probably quite well known. So I I avoided that one. I discussed at the start about the difference between English law in the later Middle Ages and continental law with the with regards to the presumption of innocence. That does link me nicely to what I'm gonna discuss, which is occasions where or an occasion where two individuals were found guilty of a crime that they didn't commit so a miscarriage of justice two oh, no. miscarriages of justice and i feel like i've been slightly inspired by the very popular netflix documentary making a murderer have you seen that
1: i've never actually seen it i know mean, it was it was all over it's everyone was good. talking about it when it was uh, when it was out worth a
0: watch very very good so i'm going western australian today sam talking of of australia a quick aside you mentioned kangaroo courts at the start And obviously the term kangaroo court will have originated in Australia because it's the only continent in the world that has kangaroos Yeah, And the kangaroo court, so that means a court that deliberately ignores established principles and procedures or laws, thus losing credibility. And there's a theory, although there is not a consensus on this, there's a theory that the term came into um, usage during the Californian gold rush in the mid-19th century when there are lots of Aussies going to California to seek their fortune, mm. a little bit like Crocodile Dundee in uh, the sequel, the excellent, <laughs> there absolutely we go, cultural good. references. My sources oh, today are <laughs> excellent film though, Crocodile Dundee, isn't it? It's a classic. Oh, it is. Oh, it's it's a wonderful
1: film. I think it shows Australia at its finest. Unlike that film Australia, which yeah, you know, really I was told that was very cool. I didn't itself. watch it
0: because I got told it's so dreadful. It's pretty bad. So this story might be quite well known to any Aussie listeners that we have, but. I, th- I think a lot of people f- who who aren't from Australia won't have heard of it. So, I'm going to be talking initially about a chap called Eric Edgar Cook, who was a serial killer from Perth. And I know that sounds a little bit like a slightly dark opening line from a children's book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> slightly? Eric Edgar Cook was a serial killer from Perth. <laughs> Eric murdered eight people. <laughs> let's, let's count them, children. <laughs> yes. One severed hand, two severed hands. Bruce. <laughs> sheila crocodile and actually i was uh, bruce and sheila i know that's the classic uh, joke that australians call bruce and sheila the most popular names in australia are actually oliver and olivia are they there you go take that as an interest oh. that's my fact stick and i've just twatted you around the face with it you have and that's it's incidentally most...
1: that's how he killed most of his victims
0: he twatted him with the fact stick <laughs> yes. Climbed he snuck, the bedroom up, he window snuck up behind you. The... Do you know that cows are the only mammals that can piss backwards? Whack!
1: Precisely that.
0: I'm trying to think up stupid, <laughs> useless facts now. Dogs can see any colour but blue. Whack! <laughs> <laughs> yes, so actually Eric attempted to murder 14 other people. 14 plus 8, that's 22. <laughs> 22 oh. victims' children. There were 22 victims of Eric's crimes. So more about Eric Edgar Cook. So he was born in 1931 in Perth, as I mentioned. He was brought up with a violent father who beat him and his mother on a regular basis. So he didn't have a very good start. He was also born with a hair, lip and a cleft palate. Most people, I think, will know that they're facial disfigurements that are usually operated on. So he had his operated on when he was three and a half. But he was left with a speech impediment and a slightly deformed face, which he got bullied about as he was going through school and he went through numerous schools. He was incredibly clumsy as well. So he had been hospitalised with head injuries on a number of occasions and could well have suffered a bit of brain damage doing that. And he certainly had recurring headaches during his lifetime and episodes of passing out. So this poor guy, well, I say poor guy, he was a serial killer, but he, he really didn't yes. have a very good start in his life. Not that that is an excuse. But, um, yeah, really didn't have a very good start. And as I mentioned, he was very clumsy. So where do you think would be a good place, Sam, for a clumsy teenager to work? Ooh, a a lumberyard. You're not far off. (laughs) He was working as a blacksmith in the hammering section. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, unsurprisingly, he came out of that job with a number of hand injuries. (laughs) which Which I thought was rather amusing. Quite quickly, he turned to petty crime even at one point burning down a church because he wasn't accepted onto the choir. <laughs> we've, we've all See, been
1: there. I can make serial killers <laughs> funny. I can... It's what Jesus would have wanted, Tom. Again, it's what Jesus would
0: have wanted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if There's one thing he loved more than murder. It was praising the Lord through song. Hallelujah. <laughs> shine a light. Jesus, shine a light. Shine a light in through someone's window. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's that song about? the Keep the flame a-burning? The world just keeps
0: on turning. <laughs> I'm sure there was one that we used to have to sing in school. Anyway, carry on. That's all right. Well, talking of hymns that we used to sing in school, can you remember the the rude versions of certain hymns that you'd sing? Cucumber, my lord. Cucumber. That's not really rude, is it? <laughs> God, carry on. Is that one? I, I've not heard that one before.
1: That's all it was. I don't think there was
0: anything more to it than that. Oh, that was it? Was just cucumber? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even sound very much like Kumbaya. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was trying to remember because I'm sure when I was at school there were lots of silly lyrics. There the were, to I'm sing, but I, the only one I could remember come
1: by car, my lord, come by car, too far to
0: walk, my lord, far too far. Is that one? That's a good one. That's quite a good one. The only one I could remember was pants, pants, <laughs> smelly though they be. I am the lord of the pants, said he, and I'll lead you all <laughs> wherever you may be, and I'll lead you all in my pants, said he. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, very good. And obviously whilst shepherds wash their socks by night. Yes, whilst watching ITV. As <laughs> the angel of the Lord came the down Lord and, came down to and to to did BBC. a great big wee. <laughs> <laughs> I the Christmas carols definitely had some rude versions, didn't they? Or some they silly did. versions, One in a taxi, one in a car, following yonder star. Oh, star of wonder, star of Night, star of royal beauty, but westward leading still proceeding. Something, something, take a shite. Um, <laughs> that was a long
1: lead-in for a punchline, wasn't it? <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, the bit yeah. In January 1963, Eric went on a murder spree, killing three random people, and there was no no pattern to Eric's murders, so it totally random.
1: Murder spree! <laughs> for some reason, I got an image in my head there of someone like the equivalent of someone shouting
0: "food fight!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Murder spree! Murder spree! Let's have a murder! Oh, stop it, Eric! Stop it. You did one of those last weekend and a couple of people died. <laughs> Behave yourself, Eric. So he went on a murder spree. And the eight people that Eric murdered... I'm going to call him by his first name because we're best mates. Eric, totally random. There was no rhyme or reason behind his, his murders, which made it all the more difficult for the police to track him down. In August that year, another person was killed, but this time Eric was captured by the police trying to retrieve the weapon that he'd used in the murder. The police then connected him with two early murders, one in 1963 and another in 1959. And I'm not going to go into details of the murder because, A, it's just pretty morbid, and, and, B, it's not really relevant to the story. Eric was tried for murder and hung from the gallows on the 24th of October 1964. However, ten minutes before his execution, and he is the last person... I don't know why I've suddenly turned into Sean Connery. I'll do that again. It's the last person to be executed. <laughs> the last person. Uh, I've murder. It's a money penny. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be splendid Mrs. Moneybay. Ten minutes before his <laughs> execution, and incidentally he is the last person to have been hung by the state of Western Australia. he admitted to killing a lady called Gillian McPherson Brewer in 1959 and another lady called Rosemary Anderson from 1963. Two other men had already been convicted of the murders of those two women and were in jail so let's discuss yeah. them. Daryl Beamish was found guilty of murdering Gillian McPherson Brewer in 1961. He was sentenced to death by hanging, but luckily this was later commuted to life imprisonment, and he served 15 years before release. So that that went from dreadful to not too bad quite quickly. Could have been hung, ended up only having 15 years. Not the end of the world. Um, But nonetheless, not nice being... um, told you're guilty of a crime that you didn't actually commit. So Gillian McPherson Brewer was murdered in a flat by an intruder who killed her and mutilated her with a tomahawk and Jesus. a dressmaking scissors. So yeah, not very nice. That's okay, about as I'll. much details I'm planning to give. Yeah, that, that'll do. Yeah, that, that gives you a fairly good image. 18-year-old Beamish gave four confessions, which he later claimed were obtained through intimidation and threats. And incidentally, just to make this story even more sad, Beamish was disabled. So he was a deaf mute. God. His sentence was appealed five times and rejected each time. Now we're going to come back to Beamish in a moment. John Button was found guilty of the manslaughter of his girlfriend, Rosemary Anderson, in 1963. He was beaten by police and coerced into signing a confession. He was given ten years of hard labour. I mean, he only served five, but again, it's not the end of the world, but still not a fantastic situation to find yourself in here's a quote no I'd
1: rather not be doing hard labour for five years
0: (laughs) yeah exactly here's a direct quote that I picked up from an Australian magazine my mind was the real prison and tortured me every night and was made even worse by the fact that I was innocent of Rosemary's death Now, the main piece of evidence in the trial was Button's car that had supposedly been used to kill Anderson. So the argument was that he had basically run her over and she had then been found dead by the side of the road. Right. His car was damaged in such a way that it seemed to fit with the fatal injuries that was received by his girlfriend. Okay. 2002, bearing in mind these crimes took place in the 60s, in 2002, Button's conviction was overturned when a number of journalists who had been supporting Button for a number of years managed to present new forensic evidence related to the fatal crash. So they replicated the crash with a crash dummy and established that the damage to Button's car wasn't very strong evidence. It was also shown that our Eric, so the serial killer's car, was damaged in a way that would suggest it had made impact with a human. This Piece of evidence was key to quashing the conviction that also led the way for Beamish's conviction to be overturned in 2005. That
1: would have been a shaky conviction in the first place, wouldn't it? If the main piece of evidence was damage to the car with, yeah,
0: you know,
1: no, I, I mean, I, I <laughs> just damage
0: to the car. It, it does sound like these both of these cases were horrendous miscarriages of justice, dreadful, absolutely. So, this quashed conviction then led the way for Beamish's conviction being overturned in 2005, and it was established that both women were probably murdered by Eric Edgar Cook as he had admitted 10 minutes before his execution. And Perth lawyers Tom Percy QC and Jonathan Davis worked pro bono on the appeals for seven years and have since received awards for their efforts. A couple of top blokes.
1: Top blokes. Top bloke awards. Top bloke. T-shirt
0: and account of Castlemaid Forex You in are the post to you. Top bloke. As opposed to Eric Edgar Cook, title Twit. The other, <laughs> he gets twat of the week award. Complete swamp. <laughs> the other end of the spectrum. Top twet of the week. Well done, Eric. You've killed eight people. Top twet. Absolutely. And uh, second twet of the week goes to the
1: Australian justice system, who, despite the uh, admission of guilt from him, spent another several years trying to put it through the courts and finally finding those people innocent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how horrible would that be? So these crimes took place in the 60s. It wasn't until the noughties yeah. they were found to be not guilty. Jesus. And the fact that Daryl Beamish was almost hung for it Yeah, dreadful, dreadful, dreadful miscarriages. I only of just
1: saved. Did they get any kind of compensation or not
0: much? I I think no. I read that one of them got in the region of four hundred thousand Australian dollars as compensation, which doesn't sound like a lot.
1: No, I mean it's going to be difficult to find a job for those forty years whilst you're a convicted murderer. Yeah, <laughs> even Adrian. if you're not in prison, even if you're if you're out and, and free. And the
0: emotional stress. I mean, can you imagine how horrible it is to live your life knowing that you were innocent of a crime? That you were in prison for, dreadful yeah. So there you have it. That was that was my little delve yeah. into some modern history there, Sam from Australia, my from friends in Australia.
1: Fantastic. and Have the two guys spoken out about what happened to? them uh,
0: yes. I think it's it's been in, there have been documentaries made, there have been books written. In fact, I think it was Daryl Beamish, who a couple of years prior to his conviction being quashed, he actually wrote a book uh, to try and get his side of the story across because he was out of prison by that point. Um, So yeah, it's. I I think if you live in Western Australia, it's a fairly well-known story. It's something you would have seen in the newspapers quite a lot. I I think they've done a number of interviews as well. They've been on TV, on radio, and yeah, very very interesting case. When I started looking at it,
1: I'll try and put some links to some of those documentaries in the in the podcast description. Yes,
0: you can put a link to the rather gruff-looking Eric Edgar Cook as well, who was hung at the age of thirty-three. He does look like a. Miserable Bob Hoskins. (laughs) He he does look like a serial killer, I'll be honest with you. There are lots of good photos, actually, that you can find online of him showing the Western Australia police where he murdered many of his victims. How delightful. So, yeah, there there are lots of good pictures. It reminds me, in fact, of an excellent museum I've been to in Sydney. It's a fantastic museum. I forgot what its official name is called. But it's about the early criminals that were active in Sydney in the early years of 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 the city. And they've got some fantastic photographs of these criminals. <laughs> very, very gruesome museum. Really, really excellent. I think it's actually in with the old police station in Sydney as well. Yeah, there's a
1: similar museum in Manchester, which I really want to go and visit. I haven't had a chance yet, because it's quite small. It's only open like a couple of days a week in the middle of the week. Yes, oh, fantastic. If I ever find myself in Australia, I'll definitely go to the... It's a goodie. Muse- museum of Criminals. That is Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that
0: is... <laughs> The Sydney Crime Museum. The Justice and Police Museum. Very, very nice. Top museum of bottom blokes. <laughs> no, hang on. <laughs> no, no, no. That's no, that's just no, no. Terminology. That's just... no, hang on. <laughs> Going back to blasphemy laws, were they not connected with The Life of Brian, the Monty Python film, being banned?
1: Yes, yes, they were. And again, Mary, uh, Mary Whitehouse, she was responsible for that. But I don't think because... It, I think it comes down to a similar thing of... It was blasphemy, but screenplays aren't covered by the laws. I will have to look that up, but I think that was what happened with the life of Brian. There
0: we go. I've just 39 local authorities in the United Kingdom either imposed an outright ban. Yeah, it was banned in cinemas. Or made it X rated. Ireland and Norway banned it showing almost for decades, I think, in some of these countries. Wow. That <laughs> is good. <laughs> Posters in Sweden read, so funny it was banned in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> <Excellent>. Nice. <laughs> Jolly good. Yes, yes, and, and very little smut. There well, you go. This,
1: despite our best efforts. We did sneak a few in.
0: Right. Well, have you had any thoughts on what we could do next week, Tom? Now, what did I think? Health. Ooh, very nice. Yeah, I like that. I thought health, and I can't remember why. Health. Um, what was the other one I thought? Exercise. Oh, exercise. I thought we could do exercise one week. yes
1: well let's do health you can bring in exercise into health can't you done amazing well to our lovely audience thank you so much for listening into our more or less coherent rambles this week it's been an absolute pleasure having you if you have enjoyed this podcast please do subscribe on your podcast app of choice and share it with your friends uh, you can also find us on social media on the rare occasions we can be bothered to post anything we are that was genius podcast on facebook at that was genius on Instagram and that underscore was underscore genius on Twitter. You can also pop us an email if you like. We're at uh, that was genius cast at gmail.com just to add a fourth completely different username to the mix. Excellent, excellent,
0: excellent. It's always nice to hear from people as well, isn't it, Sam?
1: It is nice to hear from
0: people. Feedback is good, isn't it, Sam, when given constructively. <laughs> I, don't wonder and this, I wonder yep. where you're going with this, Tom? I wonder
1: where you're going with this. However, <laughs> and on that note,
0: See you next week,
1: everyone. Bye. Bye.